You are now listening to the Unshakable Health Podcast with Dr. Thomas Hemingway. All right. Oh, man. Super pumped for an episode that just uh, uh, recorded with a uh, uh, great guy, super talented, just uh, somebody who himself is sort of unexpected. And the title of his new movie is Unexpected, and it's a real gift that we're going to be able to talk with uh, Remy Adelecki today, former Navy SEAL, a guy that didn't even know how to swim and was able to do that crazy training that Navy SEALs have to do, literally they have to learn to swim, not only swim for miles in the cold Pacific Ocean that he did in Camp Pendleton, but he literally can swim with his hands and feet tied up. Like he knows how to do that. He's a master of mindset, a master of physical fitness, just a cool guy. And he's got a mission now to just save children. And we'll talk more about that in the interview, but we'll talk about all things mindset, physical fitness, kids, how to get them, you know, also equally motivated to live healthy. Lots of cool stuff that's going to go down. So can't wait to share that with you. And if you get any value here, please like, subscribe. And make a review. If you haven't done a review yet, you got to jump on over there to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and write a quick review because that is what moves the needle. That is what gets the word out. And that's how I know what you're liking and loving. And I read each and every one. So can't wait to see yours. Feel free to also tag me on Instagram at Dr. Thomas Hemingway. That's Dr. Thomas Hemingway. My website, thomashemingway.com. Facebook, Thomas Hemingway MD, as well as on um, LinkedIn and Twitter as Doc Hemingway. Please look for me, follow me, and share the content if you get any value because that's my mission in life is to help you and to help millions to improve their health, improve their life, and live full of vitality. So without further ado, we're going to get into this amazing podcast with the Remy Adelecki. Here we go. All right, so we have a very special guest here today, a gentleman that really needs no introduction, just, just a real cool guy, master of mindset, master of physical fitness, ex-Navy SEAL, a guy who couldn't swim when he was younger, and then I've seen him recently on his Instagram swimming with his hands and feet tied up. Like, this guy's incredible. He's a best-selling author, and he's got an upcoming film this week that we'll talk about. We have Remy Adelecki on the show today. Welcome, Remy. Hey, thank you for having me. It's an honor and blessing to be here. Oh, my gosh. The honor is ours, and we are blessed to have you. And I would just love to start a little bit. I don't know if everybody knows your crazy history. I mean, you went from being nearly a prince, right, as a young young kid in Africa, being you know born to a you know, real prominent family that had everything turned upside down and then raised in the Bronx. Like, Tell us a little bit about that and what that taught you and how, how you got that crazy work ethic that you have today. No, for sure. So my story kind of starts with my dad. My dad was the firstborn son to my grandfather who kept on having girls. My grandfather had nine wives and he kept on having girls. And then finally uh, he had a son, uh, which was my father. And so naturally he inherited the title of chief, which in European culture and Western culture, we refer to royalties, king, queen, prince, princess, Dutch, that sort of thing. But in African culture and also specifically in West African culture, uh, royalties referred to as chief and or your last name. So my last name, Adeleke, Ade means crown and Leke means is supreme. And my first name, Ade Remy, means the crown has appeasement, Ade meaning crown. And so my dad inherited the title of chief, but, chief, but also naturally the last name. And that was, you know, a life that, you know, was a, a nice life for him. 
Um, he ended up getting a full ride scholarship to study architecture and engineering in London. Did really well there. Uh, was like one of the first black men on the board of the World Trade Center in America. Was the first black man on the board of the British Financial Planning Council in Great Britain. Then he came back to Nigeria and kind of really, you know, amassed more of his wealth. Uh, he had a vision for Nigeria that it could be like the United States and other Western nations because Nigeria is so rich in resources, uh, natural gas, oil, cocoa, gold, and so on and so forth. So he wanted Nigeria to be essentially the financial sector of the African world where people from all around the world came and did business. And that's kind of around the time when I came along. So when I came along, I was born into obviously the riches and we traveled the world. We had cars, we had nannies, drivers, uh, ate at the most lavish restaurants. My dad would host um, parties with dignitaries from all around the world. So it was just like this royal, rich life. Um, I still have pictures, you know, not too far behind me, below that, this table behind me with us on horses and in prestigious clothes and all of this crazy stuff. But to make a long story short, in 1987, the Nigerian government stripped my father of absolutely everything, especially his most valuable asset, um, Lagoon Development Project, which is now known as Banana Island, which is one of the first man-made islands in the world. Um, my dad died days later, and we went from rich having absolutely nothing to poor having nothing. Um, and my mom, you know, being an American, because she actually met my dad in the States and they got married and she moved to Africa. She was like, there's no way I'm raising my kids here in Nigeria. So she permanently relocated us to the Bronx. Um, it was a really tough environment. Um, crime, I ended up getting involved in crime, selling drugs, running scams, doing whatever I could to make money. And uh, by the time I was 19, I had built a massive legal enterprise. But Ended up getting involved in a deal with a drug dealer who went bad. I sold him some products that were supposed to last for a certain amount of time and it lasted for a fraction of that time. And he came knocking on my door and threatened my life and my mother's life. And at the same time, there were people who were getting caught doing what I was doing. They were getting prosecuted and sent to federal prison. So I had these two big life-changing experiences that didn't necessarily affect me in an absolute negative way, being death or imprisonment, but they put the fear of God in me. And so I uh, made the drug dealer's money back and I gave up my life of crime and uh, joined it, ended up joining the Navy six months later and uh, couldn't swim, didn't have academic scores and was super skinny, but put in the work, uh, had that motivation. And, uh, you know, within a year checking in my first command, I was checking out, going to SEAL training, uh, got in SEAL training, got kicked out halfway through, went back a year later, made it through SEAL training and became a frog man and had a great career. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, it's hard to even imagine. I, I've seen your videos of literally swimming with your hands tied behind your back and your feet tied up. Like I'm a great swimmer. I don't know yeah. how I would do that way. <laughs> I've never yeah, tried yeah. That. I don't know that I want to, but uh, like, how do you go from, you know, literally not swimming to swimming the couple miles that you had to do in 80 minutes? Like, like, how does that, what does that look like? You know, uh, it's consistency. Um, you know, when I got to my first command, I, I spoke to my LPO and I just said, hey, LPO being a supervisor, and I said, hey, I'd like to train to be a SEAL, uh, to get into SEAL training. Um, can I, Can you change my work schedule? And she did. So I would work four hours in the morning at the uh, clinic because I was stationed at Naval Hospital Camp Pendleton, so a regular hospital. I would work in the morning at the day morning clinic, have four hours off in the afternoon. And then I would, have, and then I would come back and work the night clinic until, you know, the last patient left. And uh, I did that every day religiously and I didn't have a car. So I would run three miles to the pool, um, jump in the shallow end, try to figure it out and then run three miles back. You know, I, I was just consistent. I was relentless. 
whether it was cold, whether it was hot, whether it was raining, whatever the case may be, whatever the case was, I was running to that pool. And it was uphill, three miles uphill. And uh, after some time, I began to humble myself and I asked the lifeguard one day, hey, can you, can you help me learn how to swim? And he said, I can't teach you how to swim, but I could talk you through the stroke. And because uh, he couldn't come down from the lifeguard tower. So from the lifeguard tower, he would just talk me through what to do. And I just, you know, showed up and, and tried to do it to the best of my ability. And before you know it, I was, I was swimming proficient enough to get into SEAL training. And I tell people all the time, when you have a, um, a dream, you're going to always have a, uh, a deficiency or major obstacle uh, on the road towards that dream. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called a dream, right? A dream is something that's really, really hard to attain. And when you have this deficiency or obstacle, you can make one or two decisions. Either A, you can throw your hands up, walk away and say, hey, I'm, this is not meant for me. Or B, you can do the extra, extra hard work in order to overcome your deficiencies so that you can, you know, get the next step towards becoming, you know, achieving your dream. And that's what I did. I just did the extra, extra hard work. I crammed over and over again. And that's what allowed me to do it. And, you know, even, you know, just to learn how to swim was hard. You know, that was hard. And at any moment, I could have said, this is too hard. I remember, you know, when I finally got the stroke down and I was like, I got about a quarter of the way in the pool. So, you know, just from the wall to the quarter distance. And I was just super winning. I was like, oh, my God, I got to go to the other end of the pool and then come back and then do that multiple times. You know, that's hard. But, you know, I did the hard work. I mean, just to get to the pool, as I mentioned, was hard. You know, I had to run uphill. And but I didn't quit. I just kept on doing it. And I tell people all the time, you know, life is hard. Um, But the way we overcome a hard life is doing hard work. And I did that hard work over and over again. And I overcame that hard aspect of my life. So. That was essentially how it did consistency and not quitting and just and just putting in the work, just doing the work. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that for me as a, an accomplished, you know, swimmer, I consider myself a waterman. You know, I spend a lot of time in the water surfing big waves, you know, doing all kinds of stuff, holding my breath for minutes at a time. I can't even imagine what that must have been like. I mean, super challenging, but you had that goal. You set the goal and you just didn't give up because yeah. it didn't take a day, a week, or a month. It took, what, a year or more to get to that goal? took you a while. Yeah, well, you know, I, I checked in in January 2003 to my first command, and I, I had a, I, I want to say I received my orders to BUDS about eight months later. So it was a, it was a short time period that I, you know, it was, I want to say I, I finally passed the screening test maybe six months in to my first command. So, I mean, I mean, that's still crazy. I mean, check still in pretty January. quick. Not even not able to swim, and then to you know, I failed the screening test the first time, which consisted of a five hundred yard swim. Then I think I had to wait like a month to take it again. Passed it the, a month later, and then had got my orders to seal training about uh, two months later. Um, and so you know, within a year, I was checking out, and uh, yeah. Was there anybody in particular, maybe one or two people that you learned this kind of? hard work lesson where the diligence, the day after day consistency was what really it took to achieve goals. Was it your mom? Was it the auntie that helped get you into the Marines in the first place? What, or the Navy in the first place? What was there some inspirational person that you were following or you just kind of decided for yourself, I'm going to do this and there's no other option. 
How did that look? Um, yeah, it was definitely my mom. You know, my mom, she, uh, you know, people should look her up on Instagram, Pauline Adelaide, because she's 70 and she looks like she's 40. She works out. She has a fitness YouTube channel and she eats super healthy and she has a big fitness thing on Instagram. So you guys should go check her out because she's definitely motiv- my motivation a lot. But yeah, it was, it was always my mom. You know, my mom, she was, you know, she could have easily found somebody, got married and, and uh, rested on her laurels and had somebody help take care of us, but she did it. She never remarried after my dad, never really dated after my dad. Um, and she's still single to this day, you know, and, uh, you know, so she's, you know, she's 70 years old, just turned 70. But my mom will work multiple jobs. You know, she worked hard. She would work multiple jobs in order to provide for my brother and I. Um, you know, there were times when she would get up at 5 a.m., run the steps uh, for a workout. We had 18 floor, uh, floors in our building, so she would run the steps 18 flights up, 18 like, back down, up, down, up, down. Then she would, you know, after doing that for an hour, she would come back, get showered, get dressed, take us to school, and then she would take the, uh, the train uh, down to the South Bronx, South Bronx, where she taught elementary school. She would come back after teaching her, after doing her day, days of work, you know, help my brothers and I were our homework, helped um, feed us, uh, put us to bed. Then she would jump into work at her second job, which was a creative writing service. Then from there, she would uh, do her lesson plan for her students next day of school. And that was every day, you know? And, and sometimes she would take on a third job. And she just, cause she never complained. She just did the work, you know? And so when you grow up with a person like that, who's modeling perseverance, and modeling the importance of doing everything with excellence and not giving up, it just becomes a part of your nature and your DNA. And so it just naturally became a part of who I am. And even now to this day, working in Hollywood, trying to make films, it's extremely hard. It's very hard. I mean, attrition rate for people who come to Hollywood and then, you know, and then leave after not making it, it's, it's as high as, you know, guys not making it in SEAL training. And that's about 80 to 90% of guys who go to SEAL training quit, right? And so... You know, I've just been able to see things and especially in Hollywood and and say, I know this is extremely hard, but I could do it. I could do it. And so it all comes from my mom and even partly from my dad, his mindset being an engineer and having that engineer mind where he's able to look at a situation or look at a at blueprints and figure out how to construct those blueprints or how to make whatever he's doing work. You know, so um, it's a combination of my mom and dad, but you know, from dad DNA side. Uh, being born into a mom nurturing side, you know, setting that example for me every day. Yeah. Wow. What, uh, what a great story. I mean, bless your mom. She's crushing it still in her seventies. That's, that's incredible. That's, that's what I think you and I are hoping to do as well. When we get up there in sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, I mean, uh, that'd be my dream to still be crushing it when I, when I get that age and, and it's the daily stuff, like you said. I mean, it's the just the everyday, you know, things, whether they be, you know, working out or whether it be with eating healthy, you know, just repeated over and over and over again, gets you those big goals. And I'd love to hear about the story behind how you went from, you know, the Navy SEAL to, you know, being in the movie Transformers and then like being a writer. Like, how did that all come about? Were you always interested in writing or what, what does that look like? Well, you know, my mom, you know, when I was a kid, she would make my brother and I read New York Times articles and, 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 and write reports based off the article that we read. And if the reports weren't near perfect, she would make us pick another article and start again. So my introduction to writing started really, really early at an early age um, because my mom, you know, she understood the importance of being able to articulate your thoughts uh, in a literary format. 
Um, and so that's where the foundation was built. And then fast forward, got into the SEAL teams. And I, uh, there's different jobs guys have, like sniper, breach, or medic. And so I was a medic, but I was also a human guy, which stands for human intelligence. So I've gone to various intelligence schools. And one of the, the first intelligence school I went to, um, I, there was a lot of writing that was a part of that job. Um, you had to, you know, do your whatever job that you were doing on being vague for a reason. They come back to a building or a room safe house and write a report as though somebody can pick up that report and read it like it happened that day. Whether somebody picked up that report 10 years from now, 20 years from now. So I really learned visual writing and visual storytelling through that process. And uh, that was a big part of what I did overseas, you know, meeting with sources and then coming back, writing reports, sending those reports up the chain of command to generals and other three-letter agencies. And then based off of uh, how well the report was written and based off whether it had been vetted, it was vetted information that would dictate as to whether we could go on missions. And so that's where, you know, my writing skills were further enhanced in doing that job. And so when I got out, I was actually in grad school for uh, organizational strategy slash business. And my plan was to go into business consulting. I had, I had and still have relationships with um, some very wealthy and influ influential entrepreneurs. And so, you know, they kind of got me started taking principles that I learned in special operations and translating them into business, such as communication, leadership, mental toughness, critical thinking, decision-making, all that stuff, all those sort of things. And so, um, that was my plan to do that. And I was on track to do that. And that's why I was finishing up my master's. Um, and then in May, I was writing papers in my office and my phone rings and this is lady who works for Michael Bay. And she said, hey, Michael Bay's looking for a guy with your background to work on Transformers. And she asked if I was available. And I was like, yeah, all I'm doing is writing papers. So I'm available. And, you know, I showed up to set the next day. And that one day turned into three weeks, three weeks turned into six months. And before I know it, I was in a big major motion picture. And then, you know, for, after working on a project like that, it just opens up more doors. So I started doing consulting on, on uh, commercial projects and acting. And, and then, you know, and then I would, as a consultant on film and TV shows, I would get the scripts. And so before we even went into production, now we're reading, and I was just like, man, like, I could do way better than this. I could write way better than this. I don't have the skill set. And this was specifically after I had already written my first book, Transform. Um, and so, you know, after I wrote my book, I was like, you know what? I'm going to write scripts. And I just watched tons of YouTube videos and listened to a bunch of podcasts about, you know, how to format scripts, and story structure, story arc, and start story arc antagonist, protagonist, you know, um, just all the, all the logistics behind writing a screenplay. I just studied them to nausea. And I wrote my first screenplay. And uh, my first screenplay ended up getting picked up by a major producer. Um, and that screenplay, uh, then after I finished rewrites on it for the producer, turned into a big uh, book deal with Harper Collins, William Murrow. Uh, and I actually just turned in book one, which is part of that book deal two weeks ago. We actually just finished editing the book last, uh, today. Uh, well, Friday, technically, but my publisher reached out to me with one last question. So that book's done. And I just kept on going from there. And now, like, I, that's, that's what wakes me up in the morning is writing and storytelling and then being able to get behind a camera and take what I've written and, and, and project it so that people can see what's in my head uh, in, a media, in a media platform. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it all the writing side of things came about.
Wow. Who, who would have known right back in the day when you were probably fighting your mom, you know, doing those uh, uh, stories that, that you had to write book reports or whatever it was that you probably didn't like, I'm guessing. I mean, I know my kids when they were having to rewrite stuff because we used to do a lot of homeschool and my wife is not, you know, she's tough on them. You know, if they didn't turn in their best work, they were doing it again. <laughs> but uh I think they, they thank her now. I got a couple in college now and they're like, okay, we get it, mom. But uh, is that the case with you? Did you kind of go, gosh, man, I'm so glad my mom made me work hard. Like she oh, was the start. Yeah, absolutely. No, she, uh, you know, where a lot of parents, they put a uh, football or baseball or basketball in their kids' hands, you know, in hopes that they would be successful in those fields. My mom put a pen and paper in my hand. And I'm, I hated it. Like you said, I despised it as a kid because my mom <laughs> wouldn't let us go play with our friends until the work was done. But I'm so grateful because it's, you know, it's paid a lot of my bills, you know, over the years. It's made me a lot of money. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for it. Absolutely. Yeah. What a blessing. And I know now you and your wife got uh, four kids and it's, uh, I'm sure, I don't know what that looks like now, but how do you instill in your kids a work ethic and how do you kind of work with them? And what does that look like in uh, the life of Remy at home? Oh, absolutely. Or, you know, with our two older kids, because they're eight and seven, we do a lot of things. Um, one, and we, we started out as simple as, hey, chores early. You know, so they started chores early. I mean, I think the kids were five and four when they had chores, you know, and and it's make your bed, you know, um, uh, uh Every time you eat a meal, you have to clean the table. Like, take everything, especially when you're in. It's so funny because my two younger kids, they, you know, they're babies, right? Three yeah. and, and going on two. So they make a mess, you know, <laughs> with the rice, because yeah. we have rice or, you know, spaghetti. They get the table messy, the floor, the food <laughs> everywhere. And my kids get upset. And, you know, because they got to clean it up. And it's like, hey, guess what? Now you know how mommy and daddy felt when you guys were younger, right? But we did it anyway, you know, we did the work because we can't live in a messy apartment. We just can't leave it. Somebody has to clean it up, you know? And so, you know, we do things like that with them where, you know, we're just consistent in those chores and, and, uh, and, 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 you know, the rules, um, you know, when they complain about, hey, daddy has to, you have to work uh, because they don't understand the concept of time, which most kids don't. So, you know, Monday through Friday, you know, I, I try to, if I'm not traveling or working on a film or TV show, you know, I try to work from 8.30 to 4.30 and they come in at 3.30 and they're like, why are you still working? I'm like, yes, it's not 4.30 yet. Man, I, daddy still has to work. And I remember early years ago, I would say about two or three years ago, they were just complaining so much about it. And I took them down to Skid Row um, here in, in California. And I showed them, hey, guess what happens? Daddy doesn't work. This is where we live. Mommy doesn't work. This is where we live. It's important to work. You know, and I tell them, daddy didn't grow up rich. Daddy grew up poor. Daddy, you know, this big house that you guys live in, you know, this, you know, 4,500 square foot house, big backyard, food, whatever type of food you want, going on trips, going to movie sets, meeting actors, all this stuff, driving in nice cars. That's not free. You know, mommy and daddy have to pay for that. And so and I'm always, I always remind them of that period, that that trip, you know, when they complain, hey, you want to be poor? And it's so funny because my, my one school, my uh, oldest son, my oldest son has a private teacher because he's dyslexic. And then my second son just started private school and uh, they were going to Arizona uh, this past week. And actually, they're still in Arizona now. And uh, uh, right before we were gonna, they were going to go, my, my second oldest was like, Daddy, why can't you go to Arizona? We want you to come. It's not. 
And I have a, I had a speaking engagement on on Saturday, and that's one that's the reason why I couldn't go. You know, I had a paid speaking engagement. I told him, I said, you know, Daddy has to work. Daddy has to do the speaking engagement. And I told him, this is how much the speaking engagement is paying. And he was like, yeah, but you don't have to do with this. I was like, oh, okay, do you want to? Because he loves his new private school. He's made all of these friends. And he loves his teacher. And he's doing really, really well. He's a super bright kid. And I said, okay, no more private school. He's like, what? I was like, yeah, because private school is going to cost cost me X amount of dollars every month. So if I don't take this job, then part of that money I'm going to make covers your private school. So no more private school. He's like, no, 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 no. I was like, nope, no more private school for you. And he and then lights were he's like, all right, all right, no, no, please go work, please go work, because I want to keep going to my school. So uh, you know, it's just it's just things like that. You know, it's not just telling them to do things, but it's setting that example, and it's also you know actually making them do those things that are hard that they don't like to do, so they get used to hard and doing hard things. So so what does it look like now when the the near two year old and three year old get the rice all over the floor? And I know what this is like. It's it's a pain to clean up. Yeah. Do they do it willingly or do they oh, still yeah. fuss about it? Oh, I mean they still do it. I mean sometimes they fuss about it and they get especially my oldest son, especially like because he he typically finishes first and then he, you know, if we, you know, they're not allowed to watch um TV during the week. But what they do, you know, if there's a football game on, they're only allowed to watch sports, and that's when I put it on during the week. Other than that, they, they're not allowed to watch cartoons or any TV shows during the week. And so um, I say all that to say, uh, they, uh, uh, they, my oldest son, when after he finishes and there's a football game on, he'll go sit on the couch and then he gets super frustrated when, when everybody else finishes and then he has to get off the couch and come back. So that's when he gets frustrated <laughs> the most. He's like, oh, I'm watching the game, I'm into the game, and then he has to come clean it up. But for the most part, yeah, they don't complain as much. You know, they are rights when the mess is big, but for the most part, they're good. Yeah, no, that's it's so important. And and I can echo that with six kids. We've kind of done the same, started the chores early. They do exactly that. They clean up after dinner, they fold their laundry, they make their beds, all that kind of, you know, the simple stuff. But it, it teaches them that lesson that, you know, it's got to get done. And it teaches you something, pride in your work, pride in your environment, you know, making the best that you can with what you've got. You know, you're, if that bed doesn't get made by them, nobody's making that bed. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not going to go back and make it. <laughs> So that's awesome. What about with the, um, as far as activity and that, uh, are they in sports? What, what do they do that? They oh, yeah, like? yeah, yeah, yeah. My, uh, two oldest they I mean, we've had them in sports since, man, I want to say four. So, uh, right now they're in flag football. Um, and, and they, they do flag football and they have a private basketball coach. So they go to private basketball lessons every Monday and every Tuesday. And, uh, and then they have basketball football practice every Thursday. And then, football game every Friday. So yeah, they've always been active. Obviously I'm, I'm a very active person. My wife is, you know, very fit person and in the fitness and I mean, being a doctor, you know, she likes to set the example for patients. So that's just something that, you know, is a part of our family. There's times even on the weekend, my wife is like, you guys have been watching cartoons and, you know, too much this morning. And, you know, she limits it to like two hours and that's it. You know, she's like, we're going to go for a walk and we'll go walk the neighborhood. You know, the kids will go walk as well. I'm right. We complain about it, but yeah. Yeah, we're super active and we're all about eating healthy and, and uh, vegetables. And, and, you know, the way I grew up, you know, my wife had a hard time with her early on, but the way I grew up is you eat what we put in front of you. Yeah. It's not, I don't eat that. Now, ain't no such thing. Whatever we put in front of you, early on, my wife had a problem with it. But now, you know, as my two oldest sons got older and they were like, I don't want to eat this. I just want to eat hot dogs and pizza. 
then she, she would have to fight them when I was gone because I'm the one, they listen to me the most, you know, as what I think, you know, a lot of kids do when, they, you know, because daddy's an enforcer for the most part. And uh, when I was gone, you know, they gave a lot of heartache. She was like, that's it. Like daddy's rules, whatever I put in front of you, you eat, you know, and, uh, and they got to eat. They got to eat a certain amount of vegetables. They got to eat, you know, their food, you know, and uh, that's the way it is. Yeah. And they, and they learn, I'll be honest. I mean, it's, it's just like you said, they're going to want their hot dogs and their pizza and they're going to want to eat like their friends on occasion. But if you just bring home from the grocery store, the stuff that's good for them and that's all there is, they're going to eat it. I mean, when they're hungry, they're going to eat it. <laughs> and you know, I tell you what, like when I was a kid, uh, we used to call our, our, our freaking apartment, the concentration camp, because well, well, one, my mom couldn't afford any junk food. And and so we had tons of vegetables and just main like cooked meals and uh, orange juice. I'm talking about orange juice, cranberry juice, ocean spray cranberry juice. My mom would drink that religiously, and we hated it. And uh, you know, I remember saying as a kid, "Dude, when I get money, when I'm, I'm gonna buy donuts, cookies, something." <laughs> and you know, when I got out of when I got out of my mom's apartment and got some money, well, when I got some money, I did that. And then when I got out and joined the navy, I I did that. And I didn't feel good because my body wasn't used to that. And then as I got older, I remember, you know, my 20s, I would, every time I went to a Chinese food restaurant, because I hated onions as a kid, and my mom would make me and my brother eat onions. And uh, uh, not raw, but like cooked the food. And uh, uh, I would never, I would always order food at, at Chinese food restaurants and other, no vegetables. Give me the general so <laughs> no vegetables. Give me the Kung Pao chicken, no vegetables. <laughs> and uh, I could get away with that young, but as I got older, like in my 30s, I was like all about vegetables. Now, like I crush vegetables, I crush fruit. You know, I juice fruit and vegetables every, you know, every Monday and Tuesday. And then every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I have this uh, antioxidant bowl that I make with, you know, blackberries, blueberries, raspberries, um, strawberries, diced mango, um, cashew nuts, and, uh, and, uh, if I put the mango in, in the bowl, I won't put any honey. But if I don't put the mango in the bowl because it's not a season, I'll put like a flash of honey. But like, I'm, like I don't feel right unless the bulk of what I eat is fruits and vegetables. I, I just don't, you know. So, but that goes back to how I was raised. It was, you know, it was it was ingrained in me. So even though I strayed from it because that was the foundation, you know, my eating habits were, were built upon. I came back to it. And, you know, that's what, what I do with my kids. You know, they may not like it, but, you know, I guarantee you when they get older and they see and learn the benefits of eating healthy, they'll come back to it. Yeah, they totally will. And they'll, you know, they'll go out and, you know, go with their friends to a birthday party and they'll eat the garbage. And then later, all you got to do to remind them, just say, hey, how do you feel afterwards? And, yeah. Yeah. you know, they'll, if they're honest with you, they'll tell you, no, I kind of got a stomachache. I don't feel that great. No, no wonder we don't eat this stuff every day, yeah. you know, but yeah. it's good for them to kind of, get that experience and then learn for themselves what's good. So they keep those lifetime habits that you're setting right there in your own home, which is, which is yeah. awesome. That's yeah. epic. So let's talk about fitness, physical fitness. You're sort of King at that. And I, did that start um, before the Navy SEALs or did that kind of really come into play once you were working on making the, you know, through the buds and all that stuff, where, where did that physical fitness become so critical in your whole, you know, um, rest of your career? Well, I would say, you know, I started young, you know, uh, growing up in the Bronx, you know, I would, me and my friends, we ran, we, I mean, there were video games, we had, there was Sony Genesis and PlayStation and Nintendo and stuff, and we played those games, but 
we were outside most of the time, like playing manhunt, you know, playing two-hand touch football, playing basketball. Like I was just always active, you know, just, it was just part of who I, who I, how, it was how I grew up, you know? Um, and so fast forward to when I got into the Navy, you know, I just trained, I just trained, I just worked out. And then once you get into SEAL training, that's all fitness. <laughs> A lot of you work out every day, you get paid to get hammered. And then, um, you know, at, once you become a SEAL and, you know, it's just part of who you are, it's part of your DNA. Like, I can't imagine not working out. As a matter of fact, I got a, a procedure done a few weeks ago. I had to get a, uh, well, I know back in July or late July, I got PRP in my shoulder and I couldn't really do upper body. And all I could do was cardio. So I do cardio Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I started to get depressed because I wasn't able to really be active the way I am. You know what I mean? And I don't do like heavy weights that I do a lot of circuit training, some calisthenics. I, incorporate you know pull-ups with you know uh, lat pull-down machine and back to pull-ups and abs and all that you know that's the way i train um i'm not just hey bench sit wait bench sit i'm not i don't do that like i'm all about consistently keeping my heart rate up throughout the entire workout and uh and so to not be able to work in other aspects of my workout for like a month and a half was really depressing because that's not my nature <laughs> you know what i mean my nature is to be fit and active so you know, I work out Monday through Friday. Before I had kids, it was Monday through Saturday. Um, kids, things change. I, I'm able to sneak in. I got a C3 concept row machine. So I'm able to sneak in a, a workout, you know, some weekend, some Saturday, sometimes jump on a row machine, do a 2,000 meter, or do it twice. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm all about training. Yeah, no, that's that's something I know about you and, and with your, you know, especially the Navy SEAL history and then onward. I'm I'm like you, I, I try to do that every day in some form. And I love right. that you love pull-ups because you're my man. I, you know, I'm right. turning 50 next year. I can still do 20 pull-ups in a row without yeah. resting. And not yeah. many guys can do that. You know, I know you yeah. can do like 30. So I'm going to work up to yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I used to be able to do 50 for full weight, you know, but wow. age, man, you know, age gets to you, man. Age gets 50. <laughs> that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Insane. I do 30. I can do 30 straight now. Yeah. That's still insane. I mean, I think you're around 40 or so and it's, I don't know any yeah, other cool, guys yeah. that can do that many, you know, I mean, I, they think I'm crazy to do 20 and I'm turning 50 next year. And I want to, I want to get back up to 30 like you, man, right. I'm going to, I'm going to get it done. <laughs> yeah. well, that's the ultimate test. We get benching. I know guys with benches, like, oh, it's pull-ups being able to pull your body weight up, you know, multiple times, you know, because if you, you know, it's just that to me, that's the ultimate test of strength and endurance, you know, combining those two. Yeah. And it's just simple, right? It doesn't take much. You can buy a $20 pull-up bar. You can hang yeah. it on your doorway and you can have at it. It doesn't take any significant investment and you just start wherever you are. Actually, you probably know um, Angela Gargano. She was on American Ninja Warrior. She's like the pull-up queen. She can do, I forget yeah. how many, but she, yeah. she was on the show a couple of weeks ago and talking about pull-ups and like yeah. that's her whole mission is to get people that have never done a pull-up to be able yeah. to work up to doing a pull-up or two yeah. or 10, which yeah. I think is incredible. And the thing about pull-ups too is it works so many muscles and, you know, back, lats, biceps, you know what I mean? Even your abs, your core, because, you know, when you pull up, you know, if you're, if you're not stabilizing that core, then you'll be flopping all over the place. You make it hard on yourself. So it, even sometimes depending like, you know, even your quads, depending on, you know, up, your upper quads. So, you know, pull-ups work on very, you know, various muscle groups. Yeah. How about your kids? Do they do pull-ups too? Have you gotten them on that train yet? Or? Uh, I, 
I got this video with my daughter. <laughs> she, nah, she's not doing pull-ups, but I stick my thumbs out. She hangs she or something? She holds on to my thumbs and she just hangs. So awesome. you know, hopefully one day. Well, that's significant strength to be able to hold yourself up at like three years old. You know, that's pretty epic. <laughs> two, two. Two. Oh, she's only two. Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. She's the youngest. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That is so incredible. I, I wanted to ask you, um, so, you know, looking forward, you and I kind of, we see that I feel like there's a lot of kids out there that maybe aren't so tough. You know, it's a little, they're doing a lot of this, right? They got their got their thumbs worked out all day long, but they don't work out anything else. Like what's your advice to that up and coming generation? How do we get them tough? Uh, too hard. You know, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it all comes back down, down to parenting. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that's a question for the kids because they're yeah. kids. That's true. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that question can only be posed really to the parents. And it's like, you know, the parents have to, it's still important to hard work and getting your hands dirty and, you know, being active and being healthy. And, and, and the only way you can really do that is if you're doing it yourself, right? Or otherwise, you gonna be a hypocrite. So I think that yeah. it all goes back to the parents, you know, how you parent your kids and what you instill in your kids. Are you going to instill this mindset that, you know, hey, you face a failure, it's okay to quit? Are you going to instill this mindset that everybody's a winner? Or are you going <laughs> to instill the mindset of, no, only people who, only people who are winners are those who get to the finish line first. Uh, only only people that you get the job are people who do the extra hard work, you know? Um, and so it's it all comes back down to parents. It's nothing yeah. we can say. I can say, you can say, anybody can say to the next generation. Yeah. Um, because they're the next generation. They're going to, you know, look at us as old farts who, you know, <laughs> are just haters or whatever. But it all comes back to the parents. It's what the parents instill in their yeah. kids. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. That's really really critical because they don't have anybody else. They only do what they see. Right. And if we're not doing it, we're not getting active ourselves. We're not eating healthy. I mean, they're, they have no chance. They literally yeah. have no chance. So I couldn't agree more. It's so important to share those things with your kids, you know, you know, let them know. And they, they know it because they see you working out. You got the machine at your house that you can use even on the weekends. You're working out every day. Your wife is also staying fit. Like they have no choice, but to see that and notice it and you get them outside and playing and they're doing sports like crazy. I mean, two sports. And at the yeah. same time, like that's, that's awesome. That's you're, you really hit that nail on the head. It's really the parents. And I feel like, you know, if we haven't shown them, I mean, they're just not going to learn. It's just, they're not going to get that stuff, you know, from, from doing this, right. It's just not going to yeah. happen. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I know you got, I got uh, this weekend or this Friday, I should say, you got your movie coming out. Tell us a little bit about that, how that whole idea got started and pump us up for that. I'm excited. Yeah. So uh, my movie is called the unexpected and it's uh, focuses on human trafficking, specifically organ harvesting. When people hear human trafficking, their mind just goes to sex trafficking, but there are multiple aspects of human trafficking. You do have sex trafficking falls under it, organ harvesting, which my film falls on, under falls uh, uh, with my film touches on falls under that. Uh, you got forced marriage, you got labor trafficking, you got kids who are used to move drugs in. They use this like a, as a, a, a camel, so to speak, to move, uh, move drugs in. Uh, you have blood trafficking. There's a story that came out recently out of Cambodia where a man from China traveled to Cambodia, was abducted by a gang, and he was blood trafficked for months. So they just 
kept them hooked up to a machine and was just drawing blood on them. Um, so there's multiple different facets of human trafficking. And again, my film focuses on organ harvesting, which the film is based on true events. This is not some some horror movie or some thriller that's you know that I pulled out of my butt or I just made up. You know, uh, organ harvesting is a real thing, uh, not just here in, in, uh, on our border and in the country, but all over the world. Um, um, there are more people enslaved around the world any other t- than any other time in human history. Um, organ harvesting is prevalent in Egypt, where as a matter of fact, Egypt is considered the organ harvesting capital of the world. India, down in South America, uh, there's stories from all over the world about this thing. And so that's what I decided to, to make my first film about. Um, it, the idea came to me because when I got out of the military, I was still seeking out ways to serve in some way. And I did different things. I would go to prisons. I went to inner city schools. I just tried everything. And one, the thing that kept popping up, people kept reaching out to me to help partner with different human trafficking uh, organizations. So I was reached out to, I'm going to say sometime in 2016 by a uh, nonprofit called Without Permission out of Sacramento. They reached out to me and said, hey, we heard your story. We'd love for you to come out here and help out with this rally. Uh, then about a year later, um, Lindsay, she's the founder of, uh, not the founder, but the owner of In-N-Out Burger. She reached out to me because uh, she has a nonprofit called Slave to Nothing. She's like, hey, can you help out with this charity bowling game? And then like it just kept on, you know, different people who are not connected to each other, different human trafficking organizations started reaching out to me. And I got contacted by this other one and they employed former SEALs, Delta, um, Air Force Special Forces, Marine Special Forces, CIA guys to rescue kids who are actually trapped in sex trafficking and organ harvesting and forced labor around the world. And so they reached out to me and say, hey, would you be open to going on employment? I was like, absolutely. And, you know, it was just eye-opening. Uh, it was eye-opening, the stuff you see. And I remember being, and this is 2018, we went down to Dominican Republic, and I was in a slum that was like horrible. I mean, it was one of the worst slums I've ever, ever been in my life, and I've been in some really bad slums. And in this particular slum in Dominican Republic, the parents sell their daughters to sex traffickers, and the sex traffickers would take the daughters to the north for Westerners to have sex with them. And uh, this is something that's well-known, well-documented. Um, you know, Western men, Americans would travel to tra- do travel to the Dominican Republic and other countries to have sex with underage girls. And, um, and so in this particular slum, the parents did that. And, you know, as a parent myself, I couldn't grasp the concept of selling my child. And uh, the, our liaison he pulled me aside and he pulled me into this chapel that was no size, no bigger than the size of three bathroom stalls. And at the end of the chapel wall, at the wall was a baby in a casket that had died, a six-month-old baby. And what the guy explained to me was the baby died because the mother's milk dried up. She wasn't getting enough sustenance, so her milk dried up. And so she got some formula and mixed the formula with the local water. And the water in this particular slum was deadly, and that's what ended up killing the baby. So what the liaison was trying to help me understand was that these people are desperate. For them, it's either sell our daughters to the north so we have food and water and the stuff we need so that our other kids can survive, or we don't, and everybody dies. And when I got back from that trip, I had a a voicemail from Mike Case, he's Michael Bay's producing partner. And they were like, hey, we've been trying to get a hold of you because Michael Bay's starting his his new movie and he'd like for you to work on it as a consultant. And that's when those two worlds collided for me. It's like, okay, this horrific thing, human trafficking, film, TV, you know, where can I have the biggest impact? Because I could go down to DR and Haiti and other countries around the world and rescue 100, 200 kids maybe in my lifetime, but there's gonna be 200,000 more that needs rescue. 
you know, out of the 800, 600 to 800,000 globally trafficked victims every year, the majority of them are with women and children. So, you know, and it's only at any given time, there's 6 million children in captivity as it relates to sex trafficking, labor, organ harvesting, other stuff. And so I, I can't rescue all of them. So how could I have the biggest impact? And in my mind, I can have the biggest impact by making a film because people won't read an article. Everybody will read news articles or do the research like I do the research or go on missions like I went on missions to rescue kids and they won't be exposed to it. So I need to bring this to their doorstep via film and TV. And it's the same thing we do in special operations where not just special operations, but in conventional warfare as well, as well is winning the hearts and minds. You have these, this, this group in the military called PSYOPs. And what they do is they go into villages or towns and they hand out food or they rebuild, you know, soccer fields or, you know, they hand out pamphlets, essentially winning the hearts and minds of the locals so that the locals would be more inclined to give us information as to where the bad guys are, not hide the bad guys or whatever the case may be. And I figured I want to do a PSYOPs operation. I want to win the hearts and minds of the people by making this film so that people can see it, realize that it's happening at their doorstep. As a matter of fact, California, you know, San Diego is one of the biggest hubs, ports for human trafficking in the country, you know, if not the world. And so, you know, I wanted to be able to have an impact and so people can get educated and then engage in the fight. Right. Whether that's by donating, whether that's by volunteering for human trafficking nonprofit, whether that's by like even working with a human trafficking nonprofit, whether that's, you know, if you have a cybersecurity background to going on the dark web. There's a story that came out recently about this girl went to she went to the Dallas Mavericks playoff game, this recent playoff game, went to the bathroom, never came back. Uh, her dad, you know, went to go look for her, couldn't find her. Security went to go look for her, couldn't find her. Cops came, couldn't find her. They wrote it off as a uh, as a runaway. Uh, uh, the parents, she, the father went back home, told his wife. They were devastated, of course. And But they were like, this is not our daughter. Something happened to her. Long story short, they found a nonprofit that specialized in, in, in human trafficking. That nonprofit, you know, scoured the dark web and found this girl's profile on the dark web. She had been, she was being sold for sex on the dark web, underage girl for weeks. Um, this nonprofit set up a sting with the local police. They raided this, the, where she was being held and they were able to rescue her. And some of the traffickers that were in that house were at that game that day. But what helped them, why she was found was because somebody with talents and skills was they were able they were able to go on a dark web and find this girl. And so there's different ways people can engage in this fight. And going back to my main point, that's why I made this film. Because I've been doing a lot of interviews over the last few weeks and people are like, I didn't know. I didn't know. Is that real? I didn't think it happened. And and I'm and and, and they like, thank you for making the film. Thank you for showing this film because now I see that it's real and I want to get involved. So that was the heart behind making it to get people involved in this modern day atrocity because I hear people say all the time, if I lived in the 1800s, you know, I would fight against slavery. I would end slavery. I'd take up arms. I'd hide slaves. I'd do all of this. Well, like I said earlier, there's more people enslaved around the world today than any other time in human history. Human trafficking is a $150 billion uh, industry. Uh, on track to surpass the drug trade if it hasn't already. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's, and it's happening right under our noses in different ways. This will be the last thing I say. There's a story that came out earlier this, this, this year 
of a Delta, uh, uh, a Delta flight attendant, she was able to be aware of the signs and symptoms of a traffic victim. There was a kid that was traveling with a, and I say this in air quotes, with a parent. She noticed the signs, something off. She checked it, came to find out that that kid wasn't with his parent, his or her parent. I can't remember if it was a boy or girl. So after that kid was actually with a traffic uh, trafficker, that kid had been abducted. And she saved that kid's life by recognizing the signs and symptoms. And again, it was right under her nose. It was right under her nose. And, and trafficking happens right under our noses, especially here in the United States. As a matter of fact, the U.S., we're the biggest producer and consumer of child pornography, which is pornography that is produced with traffic victims, right? So, so it's happening here in this country in a massive way. And that's why I made the film. Now, my film is, doesn't focus on the sex trafficking side of things because that's hard for people to swallow sometimes. It does focus on the organ harvesting, and it is based on true events. But it will open your eyes up, not to just the organ harvesting and sex trafficking, but the different facets of human trafficking. Yeah, no, how how important it is to get this out. Because I remember when I first, uh, it was about a decade ago, um, I heard about this and I didn't believe it at first. I'm like, ah, no, people don't do that. That's That just sounds like something from a movie or something. Like, I, I don't think people really do that. And then I kind of got, you know, a little bit more information. I started supporting some groups like OUR. I'm sure yeah. you're familiar with. They did a documentary a few years ago. Uh, it's Operation Underground Railroad for those that don't know that organization. And I saw this documentary with guys like you, ex-Navy SEALs yeah. and whatnot, doing these operations. I was like, oh my gosh, like yeah. we got to do something about this. So yeah. my hat goes off to you. I think you're crushing it because the biggest, I think factor is that there's a lot of people that are just not informed that this is a real thing. It's super prevalent. Like you're saying, I mean, the numbers are crazy. I mean, yeah, we, yeah. Yeah. we don't want to believe that this is happening, but the reality is it is. And there is stuff that we can do. We don't have to just sit there idle. Like we can donate, we can volunteer all these options that you're, you know, telling us about. And I just think how important, like you could go on those things and save a couple of people, like you said, over your lifetime, but I think you're going to make a much bigger impact this way. So thank you for this mission. Thank you for doing what you're doing, how incredible and can't wait to catch that film. Tell us uh, where we can see it and uh, how we can get involved. Yeah, you can see it on my uh, YouTube channel, which is Remy Adeleke, R-E-M-I-A-D-E-L-E-K-E. -E -E. uh, uh, you can just, you know, Google the unexpected um, film, which is uh, the title of the film. Or oh, sorry, you can YouTube, go to YouTube and search the unexpected film and or my last name, throw my last name to help, you know, narrow it down. And it's going to be on my channel. Even right now, if you go on my channel, um, there's a promo content that I've been releasing, behind the scenes interviews with cast, producers, other people involved in the film who are who are really, you know, breaking down, you know, how they learn so much about human trafficking and, and, and preparing for their roles and working on the film. In fact, another video I'm going to release in the next two days or so, I did an interview of a guy who was trafficked from Venezuela to Colombia, Colombia to Mexico, and eventually escaped into the United States. And he has a crazy, crazy story. But, you know... So that's going to be on my YouTube channel next few, few uh, next two days or so. But yeah, just go to my YouTube channel, Remy Adelaide, uh, or you can go to the link in my Instagram bio. You can find me on Instagram. Um, the link is right in there, so you can just go straight to my channel, start viewing content, and be ready for the film this Friday, September thirtieth. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I, I saw a couple of those trailers and interviews already on your Instagram, and super intriguing. And gosh, it's uh, yeah, it's something that we need to 
alert and just, you know, get out there because we need to know about this. We need to know how to support it. We need to, you know, put our resources into saving these kids that can't help themselves. And it's, uh, yeah, so important. Thank you. Thank you for this. And I think it's just going to touch, you know, much more than a couple dozen lives, thousands, and hopefully many more than that over the years. And, uh, I know with kids, uh, I can't think of any parent who wouldn't want to support something like this. I mean, myself with kids, yourself with kids. I mean, I think it just touches you even different with, when you have your own kids and just even considering Absolutely. what, what the horrors they're, they're living through children all across the world in many different countries. And then right here at home in the U S like going to a football game, who would have thought, right? Yeah. Like crazy, crazy stuff. And to just be aware of it is number one, have it on a radar so we can know how to you know, look for it, know how to reach out and then contribute, whether it be financially or with our time, like you said, to these organizations, like so important, man. I, I love you for that. I think that's such a noble cause. Any other parting words you'd like us to hear before we go? I know you're, you're coming up to our time here. Anything else that you'd just love to share with our audience today? I'll just uh, watch the film on Friday. Um, you know, uh, share it, you know, and, uh, and then after you watch and share it, you know, get involved in this, in, in, in this fight against this modern atrocity. That's pretty much it. Um, yeah, I had an opportunity to sell a film and could have made money on a, uh, having it on a different platform. But, you know, I decided to give it away for free. I invested 150000 of my own money to make this film. Uh, so it was expensive. We're not looking for any money. We're not looking to get paid for every person to use it. The way you can pay for it is by watching it and then sharing it so that people could become aware of what's going on as it relates to human trafficking and organ harvesting. So that, that would be the last thing I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I know that's something that uh, we can all do, right? Just click share and, and put it on our different channels. The Unexpected coming out this Friday, September 28th. And please follow Remy. It's just his name, Remy Adelecki on all platforms. And do it for the kids. Do it for your kids. Do it for those that are suffering that don't have a voice. And, you know, follow Remy because he's just a cool dude and he has lots of good insight and just the mental toughness he's shown over the years, the physical toughness. Like, I I just want all you guys to know that he is a stud of a man and just a great human. And I hope you'll follow him and be able to share his content. So thanks, Remy, for being on the show today. It's been a true pleasure. Uh, Thank you for having me on, brother. I appreciate you. Oh, man, that was amazing. That was so awesome to chat with Remy and to hear his story, how he overcame so many things and what we can do to work with what we've got to learn how to achieve our health goals and how we can have that insane mindset to accomplish so many things, even when they seem unachievable. Like this guy couldn't even swim and he could swim for miles after his training, but it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in a week or even a month. It took six months to a year to get to that point. And he believes that all things are possible, that we can accomplish our goals if we do the hard work. Life is hard, but it can be crushed if we do the hard work. That's his philosophy. And I see it in him. He's got so much energy. He's up to such good things, saving children now that are trafficked around the world. Ah, he is such a cool dude. So please support him. Check out his new movie releasing tomorrow on YouTube. Remy Adelecki, find his channel, The Movie Unexpected, coming out tomorrow. Follow him on Instagram and all the places at Remy Adelecki. That's just his name. It'll be in the show notes, R-E-M-I-A-D-E-L-E-K-E, because he is not only an awesome dude providing great content, but he is on a mission and a mission that I support and I love, and I'm so grateful for him. So thank you, Remy. And thank you for 
being here. Aloha.